knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we are back with a great episode about my Illinois whitetail success. Stay tuned, guys. We have an awesome episode coming up. We're going to dive into the Illinois buck hunt that I went on with my friend Jordan Hanks. He joins us uh, on the podcast here tonight to help walk through the hunt. Um, even though he was a hunt, he was nice enough to invite me down and, and have us out there and just really have a, a great time. So we dive into his property, what that habitat looks like, how we attacked the timber and the bedding areas while setting up for uh, gun season, his dad and I. And then we dive into a little bit about the area, how the deer were moving, and how I made a move to become successful on this Illinois giant. I'm looking at him right now, guys, and he is awesome. So thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate the listeners for coming back. If you guys are new to the podcast, be sure to check out HabitatPodcast.com. We have all of our Habitat podcast episodes up there we have our shirts and hats up there we have all of our partners information up there and discounts and then lastly we have our land plan services up there we're booking a bunch of these digital and in-person land plans for 2021 already so if you are interested be sure to go to habitatpodcast.com slash land plans and submit your information and i'll reach right back out to you Matter of fact, if you're listening to this episode right now, you can just go to the show notes for this episode and a link will take you right there. I'd like to thank Killer Food Plots for their partnership in this episode here. Guys, Killer Food Plots is running an awesome discount code for Habitat Podcast listeners. 
you can get 10% off and free shipping with code HP10%. HP10% sign. That's at KillerFoodPlots.com. You want to think of a great gift for your wife uh, to buy you for Christmas? That's where I'd send her, either KillerFoodPlots.com or any other one of our partners here. When I was hunting in Illinois, when you're going to hear in this podcast episode, I actually set up between two different Killer Food Plots, uh, the Sugar Beets and Brassicas, and then a Clover Chicory Blend, and the deer were all over them, guys. So check out KillerFoodPlots.com. Nick and the team over there are uh, great for helping support the Habitat Podcast. This episode is also brought to you by Morse Nursery. Guys, we had Frank Brock on here a few episodes back. If you want to hear about everything trees, persimmon, apple, chestnut, check out that episode. And then go to morsenursery.com. We have a discount code for you all there, too. If you use code HABITAT10 when you call in, on any order of $100 or more, you get 10% off. And check out their uh, tree survival kits. I know I haven't been using them in the past, um, I didn't know they were there, and now I know about these tree survival kits that Morris Nursery sells and is put together for every tree you buy. And when you do that, the survival rate jumps when planting these trees. So thanks, Morris Nursery, for supporting the podcast, and we do appreciate it. Guys, check them out at morrisnursery.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, HuntWise, The Habitat Hook. Realtree United Country Land Pro, Packer Max Cultipackers, and Sound Barrier Hunting. Guys, please show some love and support this holiday season for our partners as uh, they help support us, and they're just a bunch of great people who, who deserve it. So thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get right into it with my Illinois hunt. We're doing a little switcheroo today, so we have a different host and a cool episode for you. Thank you for tuning in as we become better habitat managers. You guys might see we're doing a little role reversal here tonight. We've got a game plan coming up from our usual host. And uh, looking forward to getting the story on the Illinois buck that you guys have seen on social media. And uh, so with that, I guess I need to welcome my co-host, Jared Van Hees. What's up, Jared? What's up, man? That was uh, That was nice. Good job. We'll have, we'll have some people confused when they push the play button there. <laughs> oh no, I appreciate you uh, grabbing the the host reins tonight. I'm I'm doing well, man. How are you? Doing good, doing real good. Uh, I've just been grinding and took a little bit of time off when I got back from Kansas. hadn't had the luck going my way this season, but still got some time left, and hopefully uh, I'll be able to fill a couple tags here. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know how you were feeling, or I was uh, in the same boat until I went down to Illinois and, and visited my friend Jordan. So I I wasn't having much luck either, brother. And then uh, saw you doing some fishing too. Looked like uh, might have to get you your own outdoor show there. <laughs> yeah, we um, I had to give the wife uh, the wife a little break from uh, November, so we got down to do a little um, inshore fishing down in uh, southwest Florida and was doing pretty well down there on some snook and some redfish. So it's been a good, you know, two and a half weeks. Uh, like I said, leading up to that, it was real slow. And, uh, you know, like you said, we have, you know, at least another month or so left 
Econ, Ohio. So we have still some time to get some stuff done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we do definitely got a special guest here tonight. Uh, Jordan, you want to tell everybody? You've been on the uh, podcast a couple of times. What was that, episode 39 and 62, I believe? Yeah, I'm on here listening. Yeah, we've had a few podcasts in the past. We talked about the shed hunting and some game planning and just kind of filling the gaps in on what I've seen and what I've experienced and spreading it, spreading the word. So, Jared, do you want to walk us through how that all came together with Jordan and let us know how that kicked off? Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Um, so, I met Jordan at the ATA show a while back. Uh, I don't know what, Jordan, three years ago, maybe four years ago now? Yeah, and, I think uh, pushing four probably. And, yeah, and I mean, Brian, then, you know, when you came down the next year, or you were, no, you met him that same year I did, right? It the, may have been. At the, we had a few we had a few bush lattes that night, so it's hard to say. But yeah. that was um, that was where we met Jordan. Um, Jordan's a, a deer nut like I am, so we've been communicating and you know Brian group texting all the time, and uh, decided that you know Jordan felt that I was a good enough deer hunter to to bring down to his own home farm. So. <laughs> I mean, just years of feeling sorry for you. I had to throw it out. <laughs> no, no. It was, we talked about it, you know, last year, and you, you had your plans for Iowa, and I just said, you know, the invitation's open. You know, come down, check it out, see what you think about this. We also discussed before you decided to go with a gun to pursue a firearm, we discussed, you know, a bow hunt opportunity, but thought maybe just with the best route to take this year to kind of get eyes on it and kind of get a feel for things, maybe just come down and do the uh, – three-day firearm hunt there for our first season, and, and that's kind of how, how it worked out and how we got started. You know, we talked about it last year, but you had to wait a year to come. So, Yeah, no, I'm glad you're on here because you're going to remember half the details I forgot, and, and that's one of them. We were, we were talking about doing, like, you know, another week-long rut bow hunt type thing, and I think you had some vacation discussions, and I was kind of, you know, I did the 10 days last year in Iowa, so I was thinking maybe – something, you know, short and sweet and just see the farm and, and get down there and hang out with you. So that's what we did. I applied, I, and I got drawn for the uh, the first gun season, which was November 20th through the 22nd, if I'm not mistaken. It's going to be three days, then the uh, 20 – yeah, 20, 21st, 22nd. That's right. Yep. Yeah, your your tag, I'll, honestly, in Illinois, your tag for a firearm, firearm gun tag – your gun tag is good for the first season and the second season in the state of Illinois. Okay. You can separate rate and buy just a uh, second season gun tag. But having the first season tag, you're good for the first firearm and second firearm. Now I'm kind of going to break this down for it. It gets kind of confusing and they keep changing these darn laws. But a first season firearm tag gives you the access to a shotgun, muzzleloader, pistol. So with the first season shotgun tag, you can use your muzzle loader. Now with the second season firearm tag, that's the same scenario. But if you have a muzzle loader firearm tag, you can hunt the second firearm and the muzzle loader season. Okay. So you got to kind of, I know like you're a muzzle loader guy, muzzle loader hunter, but you know we kind of discussed. I said, look, if you apply for your shotgun firearm tag, you can still use your muzzleloader, but it gets you in the first three days of first season rather than waiting, 
you know, two weeks for the second season. And the time frame worked out, that was the best route to take for both of us. Yeah, yeah, and and you said, you know, I, I am a muzzleloader guy. Well, that might be I was a muzzleloader guy. And, uh, and you all hear why here if you listen to this podcast. So it's – um. No, it worked out great. Um, I, I went down and hunted Illinois a couple of years back on a muzzleloader hunt, and uh, it was good, too. So I was excited to change it up a little bit, get there, maybe catch the tail under the rut. And um, He says it worked out good, but it wasn't stacking up good. I mean, yeah, what you yeah. come down here and it was 71 degrees, and it was just not at all what one would hope for hitting a, uh, you know, a firearm deer season of any sort when it's, when it's that warm. And nasty precipitation in the days to come, but uh, yeah, it was like the, it was stacked against you every way but sideways, but you, you pulled it off. <laughs> Did you guys end up getting a bunch of wind too with that? Yep, yep. When I showed up, um, I was doing a little glassing on my way down. It was just about dark, and it was just blowing. I mean, yeah, thirty-five-ish maybe. And you were you were in Kansas still, Brian, at that point, or no? Yeah, yeah. I, yes, we you, were, you that, got the wind uh, too then. We got the wind over thirty mile an hour winds, and it got to eighty degrees a couple of days, and it was it was real tough. Yeah, um, same, same. Except uh, that let's see. So the first day ended up being the, the morning was pretty nice, you know, pretty nice temps down in the I believe it was low fifties, and in uh, the deer were moving so. So what was your plan for the hunt? What did you guys come up with? Talk about the property, the habitat, and uh, walk us through what the setup was. Well, the setup this year was just about the same as always. My food plots are established in about the same locations every year. Uh, this year, my little brother kind of stepped up, and he, he took over putting the food plots out and did a good job, but as far as Illinois in, in August, it didn't rain for like 40 days. So wow, just like everything else, back against the wall. You know, he, he was dealing with uh, going back to school for his senior year, which he had graduated early, but still was eligible for a fourth year of football and a scholarship, which the COVID kind of played into everything just kind of falling apart. So he ended up uh, staying around the farm helping my dad with some farm work. And then he had planted a food plot last year, year before, just kind of breaking him in on it. And he wanted to kind of take it on this year. So I just kind of let him have the reins. And he went back there and done some killer food plots. He put out some sugar beets, and then he put out a turnip patch. And then, you know, we had some existing clover from the years prior, clover and chicory mix. but And then with the drought, I'm not going to call it drought, but just having them 40 days of no, of no precipitation. You know, there's just a lot of guys around here that, I, that I, I know who food plot and hunt. You know, that month of August, everybody's kind of getting everything together to start to start setting up their, their fall, you know, and everybody I talked to got burned on it this year. But uh, food plots, they, they come out. I mean, they wasn't the best that my farm has had, but it was better than nothing. And the turnips did very, very well. I, I don't understand how, but them killer food plot turnips just did ridiculous for as dry as it was. And I mean, Jared can vouch for this. They're over knee deep and decent sized bulbs all the way around. But basically it's just the way my farm set up is I can only access it from the East. And there's a, just the open bottoms back here that was cleaned out, you know, 
my grandpa had cleaned out. He was running cattle on it. There's no, I mean, cattle on there for about a little over 10 years now, but we keep the bottom maintained, and that's where my brother establishes food plots. But to a neighboring property, an old tree program that's actually out of program now, but it's just thick and nasty, and that's just a, a spot for the deer to bed. So instead of me spending time trying to, the last couple of years, design bedding, I just let them bed where it was, where they were, and just kind of establish some food down in a lower spot to where the deer can then meet the timber, go up the hill, and then kind of feed off into the agriculture ground. So it's it's worked out pretty good, actually, just giving them that staging area where they cannot be seen from a road or cannot be bothered. That it kind of, It's kind of their, their deal. And, and, you know, Jared's seen a lot of how that worked. I mean, I believe you can probably, what do you say, Jared? You can probably go and talk about how you've seen the deer coming to and from the bed and the direction they're moving. Yeah, it was it, – what's nice about Illinois or, or some of these other states that are a little bit um, – a little bit less pressured, I'd say. Maybe not by a ton, but a, a little bit. You can just see the deer act a little more natural. And, uh, I mean, we see it here in Michigan, too, in some spots where you get a pattern. Yeah, they were definitely coming uh, east to west, you know, at night out to the Big Ag on your, you know, on your, on your west end and even further to the neighbors. And they were moving back through your timber, hitting that food plot bottom, and then up into your other neighbors to the east where the that tree program was with the bedding. I mean, it was like clockwork. It was in the morning there, you know, they're moving west to bed in the evening. I'm sorry, east to bed in the, in the evening, they're moving west to, to feed. And um, Jordan's property, how big is that timber back there, Jordan? That whole section right there is 70 acres, but we got two fields up top. We farm ag farm, and there uh, there's a uh, 12 acres and seven acres. And then, as you've seen, the bottoms is is clear, pushed out. So I mean, it's 70 acres, but I would honestly call it there's probably a 35 of timber. Okay, so yeah, and the, and that timber I would say it would be like a giant staging area. So I know some deer were bedding in it when I snuck through it that one morning. Um, but I know that a lot of them were, were moving through it. It's, it's like a perfect big staging area. So, Brian, I was on the back side of that staging area, uh, in between the staging area and the bedroom, um, where there happened to be a couple, you know, killer food plots in there. So, sure, it, it was um, it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, Jordan's asking me all these questions about habitat. You know, what do I think about this and that and I, you know, I recommended a couple things here and there, and he's like, but it's also working good how it is, too. I'm like, it is? So there's, <laughs> you know, there's he's got um, the, the timber could use a little bit of, of select cutting sometime in the future. We talked about that, Jordan. And uh, he's got a lot of understory, but it's all um, not automatic. Is that Russian olive, Jordan? Yeah, we, we call it Russian olive, just invasive species. And there's also some. Hedge apple and stuff like that that, yep. that is coming up in within the timber, not just in the fence rows or the hedge rows. It's now coming up within the timber, and it's kind of been kind of a nightmare, to be honest with you. Hmm. Yeah, and, I mean, the deer are using it, but like you said when we were chatting, um, they're not eating it, right? They're not browsing on some of that olive. And, and so, there, you know, there's some obviously some things that, that he can do. There's some things we all can do on all of our properties all the time. Yeah. But, but uh, they were using that timber – a lot, which we were just hunting the edges of, and um, and it worked really good. You know, your dad was out there with me, 
and he hunted on that that far south end, and then I was kind of on the north end. Um, probably, we're probably three, four hundred yards apart from each other, us two. So, I don't know if that kind of explains the property, but yeah. So, what was planted in the ag fields? Uh, well, Up top, it was beans, I think. Yeah, soybeans, and then on the south side was uh, corn. So it was a okay. uh, double double this year. It was a crop rotation of uh, beans and then corn on the south side. But some years we go bean on bean, run both beans. Uh, actually, one field, we cannot work the ground because it's highly erodible ground. So due to the ag program in Illinois, we cannot work the ground. So it's solid no-till. And, you know, when you start planting corn, you take a chance of losing any kind of fertilizer, you've tried knifing the ground or anything. So that one field's actually been bean on bean for quite a few years now, but we have to know to, which is also kind of what's kind of got me thinking a lot and kind of pushing my dad to kind of do, start doing some of this cover crop, which, you know, what me and Jared talked about last year. We did a piece in uh, 14 acres of ryegrass and tillage radish. Just to, that way it's just not going bean on bean. You know, it's, that's not the greatest scenario. You can cause diseases. And I've right. kind of did a little little study, a little researching on some of these cover crops. And there is some ag programs that will uh, reimburse you for seed or time just to kind of push the issue of cover crops. But that's just something else in a whole different conversation that I, I've been playing with. But but this year it was beans and corn, so it, it had a uh, mix of both back there. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, I know a lot of farmers in Ohio – pretty close to my old property they would do a lot of that they would rotate they might have beans every summer but they would put in a crop of winter wheat or maybe rye or something else so it's almost like you are getting the crop rotation even though it's both in the same year but you're still getting the benefits of of getting that rotation out and not causing any disease or insect problems yeah that's a good thing with the winter wheat is is when you harvest your wheat and you can go right back in and no-till your soybeans in there, and you're, you're, you're double, it's called double crop to your beans. You're basically getting two outputs within the year because you're going to harvest your wheat and you're going to harvest your soybeans. Right. Another, but one issue with that, which if it comes to a time frame, is the time you get your wheat out and you're planting these double crop beans is now you're planting a shorter maturity of beans. That way they can mature in time to harvest rather than having them planted two months prior when the rest of the beans are planted because there's wheat there. So there's different different scenarios that play into a lot of that in people's farm programs and how they run run their stuff. But, uh, yeah, this being just highly erodible soil, and, and Jared's seen it. I mean, it's just kind of a knob. It's it's done decent on beans, but but uh, I really would like to get a corn in there. But the deer are so used to the beans, and and uh, there is actually some radish along one, one side of that that, that, that come up, so. Just playing with that, you know, just from farm aspect at the same time, looking at the wildlife side of it. Yeah, and the uh, the the timber itself that led out to the beans was was pretty neat. It wasn't just a flat, open thirty five acre square. There were uh, four or five, maybe six ridges that ran east to west through there as well. So you start at the top of the bean field, then you work down towards where I was sitting in the back. The, the ridges, it's kind of like you lay your hand on the table and they go straight, you know, the fingers go straight back. But they weren't real, like, high, like southern Ohio. Um, they were, like, you know, 30, 40 yards up and down. And, and you know, it, it's, it's pretty cool because you, you could see more that way. Um, but we weren't sitting in there. Uh, you know, I was on the north and, and his dad was on the south, so we were on the on the edges of it. But, um, Jordan, is that all 
red oak in there? Uh, most of the red oaks are actually struggling. There's been a disease come through here in the last, I'm going to say, six to eight years. And, man, the red oaks are really struggling. There's a lot of good white oaks in there. Uh, there's a lot of maple. Um, actually, back when my granddad was a kid, I'm talking in the, in the 30s, that neighboring piece used to be a, a maple syrup down there. And we talked about the sugar shacks. You still kind of see the falling down shacks around there. But there is a lot of soft maple up through there. There's quite a few hickories white oaks, as far as the red oaks, they've been really struggling. It's just don't know how to stay on top of it or what, what's really happened. But uh, me and other neighbors have also discussed that our, our red oaks are, are not doing so hot anymore. Yeah, I know some guys talk about even getting a timber uh, harvest done before the oak wilt or whatever disease comes in and, and tears it all up if you got it bad. Yeah. But, you know, Jared's making my property sound like it's it's a lot better than how I see it, but, I mean, it was a cattle pasture for for 60 years. It was logged 40 years ago, so what is there is straight. We do get a lot of trash, but it's something that i never seen as if it was going to be my pick of somewhere to hunt, that wouldn't have been it. But, you know, just <laughs> the, last, the last years, say the last 10 years of actually putting in, you know, the extra work like you, like you guys talk about, with just food plotting and just maintaining certain things, it's it's made it enjoyable anyways to where some, you know, like Jared can go back there and, and see multiple deer. My dad can see multiple deer. So I remember, you know, years ago when I first started hunting, I hunted a whole entire firearm year of, of two seasons and never seen a deer. You know, Jeez. went from Unreal. one or two of us shooting a deer and, you know, we seen a couple of deer and then just finally you either throw the towel in or start getting serious about things and, I started doing basically what you guys preach on, you know, what you guys are trying to share and talk about and listen and read. And, and it's really been pretty pretty successful the last couple of years. Jared was asking, you know, me what I've harvested and my dad's harvested, you know, years, just in the last five years prior to Jared, Jared coming down. And it's been pretty amazing, actually, because you look at the five years prior to those five years, what what was taken out of there, you know, versus what we've seen. It's just, it really has turned around. And these are even in the years that I'm talking about of being successful was our post-EHD kill off of 12. You know, when yep. things, when I started, probably guys our age started kind of getting serious and kind of figuring things out and really looking at the next step, you know, then EHD come in and just absolutely devastated us. But to be able to still see numbers that we weren't seeing pre-EHD, knew something was working right even though to me still yet if I, I look at it and to me it's it's still not what I would consider a prestige hunting for my area but it's 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 been good so what do you think you could do to take it to the next level that you have in your mind what do you think a couple things that you might improve on we, we've talked and Jared and I discussed it maybe doing some select timber harvest off of it um, it has gotten thicker since cattle's been off of it back in years when we were hunting. There was still cattle in there. But with what is surrounding me and the neighbor to my south, he has done some select harvest of timber in the last couple of years. Uh, to the north of me is the big maple oak ridge. It goes down to an old tree program that's it's out of a program now and really just a woolly mess. But I personally, I don't... I'd like to have some thicker spots, you know, maybe a little hinge cutting, or at least I'd like to have some tall grass, some, some bedding area. But with the access to my property from the east, with what I have to possibly establish a bedding area, 
I'm going to have to be walking through or by or around this bedding area to where right now they're bedding in an adjacent property but still using my property as their exit. So right. I, want to, I want to put some walls up. I want to establish some routes for me. But as far as trying to make a large bedding area, I almost want to just leave it as is and let the deer do what they're doing and me just try to catch them in the middle. Now, well, if it's a large enough property where I could establish a big area and have it all right there together, then yes, I, I would definitely push towards building a building a uh, great bedding area. But with the hand I'm dealt with, what I'm dealing with right now, I, I I'm probably won't push that issue as much as just maybe letting her thick up a little bit and maybe get some more of them non-invasive species thriving. Yeah, that that's important. You you're paying attention to what the deer are doing and what how they're using it, even accessing like you said from the neighbors and what they're doing on the neighbor's property. That's that's a huge thing for our listeners out there, especially the new guys. Just don't jump in with both feet and start making changes. You want to kind of get a feel for how the deer are using the property and and even how they're using your neighbor's property so that you can use that to your advantage, but I agree with you, Jordan. I mean, it sounds like you're on the right track. The the deer that you've harvested in the last few years have really shown the work that you've done there are uh, really paying off now. So just keep at it and uh, looking forward to what you're going to bring in the future for sure. Now, Jared, you mentioned uh, you had to draw a tag for this area. Was that a difficult process, or did you get did you draw the first time you put in? Yeah. Um... I applied and drew. Not difficult at all. Swiped a, a credit card or whatever. You know, you paid online and applied. And then you had to wait, I think, a month and a half or two months, and um, I was successful. I'm not sure if that's how it always goes, but uh, I've heard mixed mixed things about Illinois in terms of that, but I was successful right. year one. So that's something you could do all online? You didn't have to mail anything in or pick anything up when you got there? Yes, sir. So tell us a little bit about the three-day hunt that you put together. Yeah, yeah, sure. I uh, I pretty much um, got down there. We we went for a little drive, and Jordan tried to explain to me a little bit about the property. And it's it's kind of hard to tell, you know, when it's getting dark and night one. And and um, I wasn't able to make it down earlier due to the, our Michigan rifle season opener. So we was kind of just like, let's get out there, and and um, he's gonna. We went up to one of these box blinds, and uh, that's where I set up um, the next morning. So I hiked all the way back to the northeast corner, and I sat in a um, a shooting shack, if you will, a box blind with that looked over, you know, a food plot to the west and to the south. So it's an L-shaped bottom, and I could see about 200 yards in each direction. Give or, give or take. So that's where it all began. So did you pick this set up based on the, the wind that was going on that day, or did you have trail cameras out? Yeah. Uh, Jordan had cams out. He's been sending me pictures all summer, freaking me out. And um, just <laughs> the amount of deer is just, you know, the amount of bucks is just uh, different. And to be honest, we had – a few good bucks on cam, um, but then two or three weeks before I was coming down, they, all the big boys were not showing up on cam. There was um, 
a bunch of, you know, younger, nice deer, but younger deer showing up. So we figured get up in this shack. You can see a long ways each direction, and uh, it's a good spot. Jordan's hunted there in the past, so I figured trust the guide and, and go with that, you know. And uh, that's where I sat for two full days. I sat there opening morning. I saw, I think, eight bucks. One that looked decent way out there, about 215 yards, wouldn't pay attention to me. And the rest were small, um, young young bucks, year and a half olds. And then I saw probably you know, three or four does. So more bucks than does than the first morning. I was grinning ear to ear. <laughs> <laughs> so no shot opportunities the first two days? Um, so let's see. Let's move into that night real quick because there is a shot opportunity coming up. On day two. On day two. So, that, yeah, okay. that night was actually pretty slow. Um, saw a few more little bucks. This one four-point beginning to be pretty good friends with him. He was showing up a lot, cruising. And then, uh, you know, I think I had a doe and a fawn come out that night as well. Um, and then the next morning, so day two, I get back in the same blind, set up, um, and right away I have this buck walking straight from the south to the north down that long shooting lane. He's about 200 yards out. I can see dark body, and I can't tell how big he is. And he gets closer and closer and closer. And um, a lot of these deer were crossing from Jordan's timber to the neighbors to bed. But they were crossing about 125, 150 yards down to the south. Uh, Even where I saw this buck, 200 yards. And I'm like, all right, well, sure enough, this buck went back in the timber. I could have taken a shot. I didn't know how big he was. I elected to pass. And um, sure as shit, a couple minutes later, I see this doe pop out like 210 yards, 205 yards straight south. And she's kind of moving, right? She's moving from the timber into the bedding area. She's and, and, I mean, this bottom I'm in, the deer pop out on the right and they move to the left. You have like three seconds, four seconds, even at, even at walking speed. They're not spending a lot of time grazing in the morning. In the evening, they're coming out and spending a little bit of time. In the morning, they're crossing, and you just you have split-second decisions. So you got to have your that. phone put away. Oh yeah, no, I, I mean my head was on my yeah, my head was I on. I mean, in, in those situations that you you have to concentrate it. People don't realize a lot of times people don't hunt. They say, "Oh, you get to sit in a tree stand all day and relax." Well, in situations like that, and we've all been in them, where you're in tight spots like that, you're on edge because you're just so focused trying to get ready for the couple of second opportunity you might get. Yeah, there's there's that, uh, and and it was happening just like that. You know, you'd look and catch a a buck walking away real quick, and back in he goes, and you're like, "What was that? Oh my gosh!" You know, and it's very exciting. Uh, it's very uh, uh, stressful as well. And and then I'm trying to sit there and video record the whole dang thing, which made it even more stressful in a blind trying to record for a split second. And I was getting footage. I was seeing them. It was working. It wasn't pretty, but it was working. And then uh, that doe, she looked behind her, and I'm like, oh, no, here we go. And so out pops. At that time, one of the biggest deer I've ever seen. And he's right right behind her. She's all the way across already. 
into the other side. I mean, it was that fast. And then he's walking straight across. I flip the window open. I scream, hey, hey. You know, finally he stops. And I crank my dial up. He's at, he's at at least 200 yards, I know. And I shot my muzzle loader about a half dozen times at 200 yards. I crank my my BDC reticle to 7 power. Well, I sighted in my gun at 6 power. So I, met, I had no idea what I cranked it to because it happened that fast. And I got on him and I held my two reticles. I was holding fairly steady, and I, I touched it off. And um, and he ran away like he was just scared. I mean, he just booked it, right? It wasn't like he was hit hard, hunched over. Um, once the smoke cleared, I could just see him barely jump into the bushes. So I, I called Jordan. I got down, and this is like 7.30 in the morning or whatever, first, you know, 20 minutes of light. I spent the next 45 minutes to an hour looking for blood or hair or anything, and um, I clean missed him. Um, going back to where I shot and looking back at the blind, there was one branch. I didn't see any bullet marks on the branch, but there's that factor, and then there's, uh, I did a bunch of research, you know, the rest of the day, sitting there sulking about <laughs> how far this bullet should drop. It's a 260 grain hollow point sabot and 100 grains of powder. And it's not a lot of powder, but that's that's the way that that gun tack drives for me. Right. For 100, 125 yards, I, I'm really accurate with that gun. But 200 yards on a freaking giant... Um, I, I was, thought I was holding pretty steady, but I think I I think I missed under him after I, all the research I did. I think I went right under him. Okay. And you know, uh, we discussed before he. We thought I went over him, but I don't think I did. We discussed before about how far of a shot he thought he might take, and I said, "Well, you know, there's there's spots out here to shoot 200." And I said, "You're shooting a muzzleloader." I shot a muzzleloader for years, just for that fact. Up until the last so many years, that the the deer slugs have gotten a lot better than what we used to have. So, I mean, there are some slugs that are capable of those those range, and I've right. done a slug gun also, but I know Jerry said a lot of places he hunted. Michigan, you don't have those 200-yard opportunities. So we discussed it, and I know he's practicing at it. And, uh, you know, I've shot 150 grains through muzzleloader, and I've shot 100 grains through muzzleloader. And it's just whatever. I've owned a few of them. It's just whatever that gun likes. And right, those, right. those ranges, I mean, I've harvested multiple deer at, 180 and 200 yards. It uh, it's very capable. It's just like I said, the odds are stacked against us in the beginning. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, yeah. This has been an uphill uphill deal from from the beginning, based on how it was playing out. And and like you said, I mean, the gun's capable. I I should. That's on me. I should have been shooting that gun 200 yards all freaking summer. Um, not you know hindsight being 2020. I didn't actually think I'd be sitting on on something where I could actually shoot that far. And if I did, I didn't think I would take that shot just because of my confidence level. But I shot it the week before. I was I was in a, you know, six-inch group at 200 yards. I was like, dang, all right. But I, I don't think um, I was high enough. And my reticle was cranked up one too many, which changes your yardage on your, on your BDC uh, lines there. And judging by that, I shot him at for like 192. And I know it's not a big difference, but I think those muzzle loaders start to drop a little bit, as well as the shotgun once they get out there a ways. But either way, I should have, I should have 
hit that deer. He was just standing there, and I had the shot. Uh, so I, I wasn't too bummed about it because as a far shot. I've never shot a deer that far. But at the same time, I should have made that shot, and uh, it was it was a rough maybe 30, 40 minutes after that. So. The way Jared <laughs> described that deer also, it, it sounded like it wasn't a deer that was familiar on camera, one that, you know, anybody knew was back there. So it just goes to throw, you know, we discussed before what we were looking at, and I said, man, it's the rut. You know, it's the, you think the tail end of the rut, but as Jared tells the story, he, he got into some pretty good action. But at the same time, you also got that pressure of firearm season, and it just you don't. It don't matter. Not saying Illinois anywhere you're at, anywhere you're at, you just you don't know what's going to show up. You honestly don't, especially when you're getting to that later later season. I mean, yeah, early earlier bow season, a guy can pattern and he can get on them feeding patterns, and you start getting into them end of November. What I see, anyways, you just you hear guys talk about bonus bucks. Sometimes you just don't know what's going what's going to come out of the woodworks, and he, he got a he got a good taste of that. Yeah, especially towards the end of November when they're sort of branching out from their core areas. Maybe they already bred all the does or tried to breed all the does in their areas, so they start branching out and, like you said, end up other places that normally they're not at. Yeah, so he he called me and. Woke me up, you know, guy trying to sleep, and you got to listen to Jared. I, big one, big one, that's about all I heard. And then, he, you know, he kind of got through it and told me what he was dealing with. And tell you what, it went from being text messages to phone calls, and I was just kind of waiting for the right phone call, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah. So after doing the, the due diligence and, and making sure I didn't hit that deer, um, I peeked up over the ridge under the neighbor's glass, all that for a while. There was no deer there. Uh, no blood. I walked it back and forth way too many times. Decided to get back in the blind. Um, sat till about lunchtime, and and I just you know, it's like and then you start playing these head games, right? Is my gun on? Am I on? My powder? Is this right? The right bullet? Like who the heck knows what I was thinking? So I I, I get out of there, go back and make lunch. Uh, Jordan and his brother and I were over at his place, and I shot my gun at 75 yards, and I hit the bullseye you know, shooting from my knee against the tree. So I'm like, all right, well, it's not the gun. Um, I just think I, I aimed a little too low on the deer. I should have put it right at the top of his back, maybe a couple inches higher, and let it just sink in there. Um, like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty. So the rest of that day, it was pouring uh, a lot of the day. And then, we, I mean, get out, get some lunch, got right back in the blind every day. Sat long afternoon sits. Um, that day, I actually brought my laptop out there, caught up on a few emails. <laughs> so, it was, uh, had, a, had a, you know, during lunchtime, that noon to one or whatever, wasn't seeing anything but that four point. My buddy who kept showing up and then um, got back into business for the evening there and it just kept raining and raining and raining. And I think I saw a doe and a fawn. And that was it for uh, day two. Well, a lot of good action. Exactly why you went to Illinois and had a had a good opportunity, and it, it sucks that you missed them. But you know, at least at least the clean miss doesn't weigh on your mind. You don't have to get on there and think. You know, there's a couple specks of blood, and hope I didn't injure them. So that's the silver lining on that nice clean miss, anyway. Yeah. Brian, you thought somebody took his puppy, and he come he, he come <laughs> over to the shop and wanted to shoot it again. And he was he was down and said, "Get back out there." I mean, it's. I'm telling you, you don't. Another one, the same one, would come right back. And then when yeah. he came in that evening after sitting in the rain and said he's seen a doe and a fawn, my 
my brother was on a different piece of property. He'd come in, what do he say, Jerry? He's seen five bucks and five does that evening. Yep. To kind of rub it, rub it in Jerry's face a little more. Than <laughs> my gosh, he just can't catch a break here. Like I said, the, just with everything, the, this whole year for everybody's just been a been kind of upside down, backwards, anyways. And oh yeah, they try to squeeze a three day hunt out for him, and with everything going on and the weather being warm and rainy, and you know, food plots weren't there, and just not having you know the normal intel. Of what's going on, it was just it was all stacking against me. I, I was trying to keep you positive, but in the back of my mind, I wasn't I wasn't real positive either. <laughs> no, I know you were. You told me that the next day. And uh, to add a little more salt to the injury, I uh, I had shot at a doe in northern Michigan like two days before that. A real quick opportunity again. Maybe I'm too impatient. I'm starting to learn. And um, I grazed her. I had hair and no blood, and I didn't know if I hit her up north. Well, she came back in with her fawn five minutes later because her fawn didn't know what to do, and I elected to pass because I thought I I didn't know if I hit the first one. So I I ended up letting that deer get away. So this is like missed one up north Michigan, missed two on this big boy, and then uh, it's coming out in the last morning, and I'll keep rolling into it. It's it's day three. It's gonna it got a, a big front moving in now. It's gonna be like I think it was thirties su- Sunday morning, and it was pouring, and it was gonna pour, and it poured all night from when I got out of the blind, and got back to to Jordan's. You know, it poured all night long. Um, I was walking yeah, in the next morning in the rain. rain that night. How many? Three and a half inches of rain that night. Yeah, it, oh, it, wow. it's freaking forward. Um, and I'm sitting there, and that first buck that I saw the first morning that I that I thought was decent, and the second buck that I shot at, I'm thinking, they're all down right at like 210 yards. I'm like, I don't want to take that shot again. And the wind switched to come out of the north. So my wind would be blowing right down that bottom, right to where those deer were. Yeah, it's 200 yards away. I'm in a blind with the window shut. Maybe I'd be fine. And it's downpouring. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, so we get done with dinner, and I'm like, Jordan, I need to know if you're on the same page as me, but um, I need to make well, Michigan and set up at the base of a tree on my butt and uh, and see what happens. I'm going to get in the thick of it. He's like, that's exactly what I would do. He goes, right here at this bend in the bottom, you can see a little bit to the west now and you could look I could look back at the blind that I was sitting in the two days prior so that's what I did how far away from the blind were you at this point probably 250 yards maybe okay Um, probably about 50 yards from where I saw that big boy the morning before that I missed gotcha so I figured if I can get him or any deer crossing there at 50 yards 60 yards up to 100 slam dunk it's slam dunk. Yeah, I mean, I I shot a lot of deer with that muzzle loader, and I've I've made some tight shots with it, um, in tight quarters. I mean, and it's it's performed. So I'm thinking, I just gotta get a little closer. But it's gonna rain, and it's gonna rain until an hour after daylight. And then I'm thinking, all right, well, I'll I gotta sneak in there. I'm gonna get soaked. Forget it. I don't even care. I, it has to. It, it, this has to be done. I gotta get down there, and I gotta be able to look. And the winds that way, anyways, out of the north, so it's gonna be blowing behind me then it's gonna be it's gonna be good 
And Jordan's like, you know those bucks are going to step out under the blind now, right? <laughs> I'm like, you're, you're probably right, man. With my luck this year, you're probably right. So I ended up uh, packing up. I taped my muzzle loader barrel with electrical tape so no water could get in. And I hiked back in. Um, it was a couple hundred yard walk from uh, the ranger. And... Uh, Got absolutely stoked. I got, first of all, I got stoked driving the Ranger with no windshield, no roof. You know, you're just getting pounded. Yeah. Um, got stoked. And then I kept going. I'm like, whatever. I'm wet. doesn't matter. And got all the way back there, found my tree. It's a cedar tree, and it's right on the edge of that bottom where, where the food was. I wasn't on the food anymore. I was way south of the food. I was in between two other, two food pots, the one I was hunting and this clover trickery spot where Jordan's dad was sitting uh, the two days prior. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to set up here. I trimmed some branches out of the way so I could get back against this tree and uh, put up my, uh, you know, tree stand umbrella, which I need to buy stock in that company. And, you know, you just got, got soaked, but ended up being all right. Um, and you know, I just sitting there and daylight's getting, getting here, getting here, getting here. Nothing's moving. It's pouring, it's pouring, it's pouring. Well, then the rain starts to stop and I'm like, all right, here we go. Uh, you know, I get the gun ready. It's been on my lap. Make sure I can see through the scope. It was a little fogged up, but it wasn't bad. And it was getting better as the rain stopped. And I probably sat there for about a half hour. And I had um, four does come from the bedding area back towards Jordan's timber, which was the opposite of what they've been doing this entire trip hmm. in the morning. And there were two does that were real nice, one fawn or yearling and one doe that was kind of medium-sized. Well, that medium one was too inquisitive, and I was too out in the open. They they walked right, I mean, 20 yards in front of me, just like I'd hoped they would. And the one kept looking at me and looking at me. Well, she got right up in my in my business, and then she kind of freaked out, and they all kind of scattered. None of them blew. And I don't know if it was, um, yeah, it was a really big one that just stopped right out in front of me at like 20 yards. And I'm like, you know what? This is an opportunity right here. I have an either sex tag. I'm just going to, you know, it's been, I got one little dough in the freezer back home. I'm just going to smoke this dough and just, you know, take what I can get on the last day and, and be a happy guy and help Jordan out a little bit with the doughs. And and uh, I line up on her, like I said, 20 yards, slam dunk, right? Pull the trigger. My primer fires and literally a smoky firework show comes out of my barrel, like a like a Roman candle. Yeah. And the bullet or sabot like, just tanks into the ground like 15 <laughs> yards. I've had that happen. Just like the most depressing thing you've ever seen in your life. And all four does scatter, and they go right up the hill in front of me into Jordan's timber. They stop and look back, and I'm just like, I can't reload in time. And I start reloading, and they you know, blow out of there, and and they're gone, and I'm just I'm sitting there stoked. <laughs> and uh, I had a couple misses this year already. That muzzle loader almost went for a ride. 
Um, <laughs> I'm a pretty laid back guy, and but I put a lot into this, this deer hunting stuff, at least mentally, and uh, that that thing almost went for a ride, but it's a really nice gun, and uh, it's been good to me in the past. So, so if you would have if, if you would have connected, you'd have been done. Just yep. either sex tag that's good for one doe or one buck, and you'd have been out of there with the doe. Okay. Yep. I'm not um I'm not against shooting does. I'm not gonna, you know, go all the way down to Illinois just to to shoot a doe on purpose, but I don't know, it just made sense to me that moment. Sure. You just take that God's given me right in front of me here. And um yeah, apparently it wasn't the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you get reloaded and the yeah. the does scatter. Get reloaded. Um, I grabbed my breakfast sandwich that Jordan's mom made that morning. God bless her. And I started eating that because I'm like, well, this hunt's done now. I just blew everything out of here. And um, sure enough, a button buck comes right down from where those deer ran. You know, after I after I figured it all out, walks right up to me, sees me, and kind of jets out of there as well. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm in the spot. I'm like, all right, well. We're not done yet, and and sure enough, I'm I'm sitting there about 30 minutes after I shot that doe, and I'm ready, and the rain stopped, and I catch this this movement out of the corner of my eye, because I'm facing the blind, which is straight to the north, and I keep looking to my left down the other lane, but up that hill that I was telling you about where those doe ran, which is like. 35, 40 yards up the hill, I see a deer barely come out from behind this pine tree, and all I see is a right G2 and a main beam. And I go, okay, he'll do. And and as soon as I could get my gun up, literally like split second, I get my gun up, he looks right at me. Down the hill, through that pine tree, he's kind of looking through this pine tree and sees me at the bottom of the cedar. He looks to his right, and he looks right back at me again. <laughs> I'm like, this is it. This is my chance. And I pulled the trigger, and I heard the actual kaboom, you know. And the smoke cleared, and I just saw a rack and body run sideways across that hill, hit hard. Like, like hit good. You guys all know what that looks like. Man, and, yeah. And he goes up over the hill. And it's dead quiet, and I just hear nothing. And I mean, zero. And the ground's wet, but the longer I sat there, you know, the more worried I started getting. I, I called Jordan um, as soon as I shot him. And Jordan, I don't know how that phone call went, but I'm sure it was a little well, frantic. Well, you woke me up, and you were. Uh, <laughs> it was the call I was waiting for. You were. Uh, you're definitely more sure of yourself than than the first phone call of the, of the previous day, but I can tell you were questioning it. But what just what you told me, I'm thinking, okay, he's off that hill. I know exactly where he's at. I know exactly where he's talking. You know, muzzleloader, 40 yards. He took off like he took the bullet. That I'm already knowing that this deer is this deer's done. He he, he smoked him. You know, and I actually when I got in my truck, I turned my phone on, I filmed a little video of me driving 
explaining that up, you know, he just he just shot one. I I, I had it in my mind that he this was a dead deer because I mean you can only have so much bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what happened after you you sit and waited? Well, so I, I mean, I sounded confident on the phone because that's that's what I felt and that's what that's what had happened, uh, as y'all know, and then. We sat there. Jordan showed up about 30 minutes later. I was sitting there, a cup of coffee, and we sat there and, and BS for a while. And he's like, "All right, let's go look for that deer. It's, it's been an hour." I'm like, "Nah, I'm good. Let's let's just give it another hour." You know? He's like, "No." <laughs> he's like, "No, let's go look." I'm like, "No, man. No, I'm, I I didn't hear him crash." He's like, "You sound confident on the phone." I'm like, "I'm confident, kinda. I just uh, now I'm starting to play everything in my head and wonder. You know how it goes. It's that. Oh yeah." It's the it's the trick of your mind. Just you just worry about everything that could have happened, and um, yeah. finally he's like, "I'm going to look for blood. You can sit here." I'm like, "All right, go look for blood." <laughs> and I literally sat there. <laughs> he hiked up the hill, and he's looking around. I'm kind of pointing left and right, trying to get him to look in the right spot, and he was there, and he wasn't seeing anything. And then I just couldn't stand it, so I got up and and walked over there, and he flipped on his video camera. And uh, right when he flipped it out, we looked down, and right in between us was a pile of blood, right where I shot him. And um, you can, and we'll, we'll we'll get that video up online, guys. If anybody's not following us on Instagram or Facebook, be sure to check out a Habitat Podcast. We're gonna get all these videos up. The one of Jordan in the car talking about the fall. We're gonna get all this up. And um, so we got like a full nine minute video of the blood trailing, and we were on good blood the entire time. Um, the stuff you like to see, thank God. And it petered out for just a minute, probably 10 seconds. Felt like 10 hours. Yeah. And, and you know, then we found it again. And um, Jordan actually saw him first. I, he couldn't stand it anymore. I, I couldn't see him. I was looking to the left. And uh, he's like, dude, is that him right there? And, you know, the rest is, is history. We hopped over the log he was laying behind, and I didn't realize what I'd done. It's He's a lot bigger than, than what I expected and you know, what I thought, what I would have been happy with. And um, Jordan's like, that's the big eight. That's, that's what I wanted you to shoot. That's the biggest one here right now. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Crazy, crazy. So, Jordan, you had some history with this buck then, if you recognized him, I take it. Oh, yeah. He'd been, this year alone, he was – of that age group the most consistent on camera not saying consistent like every night right here in front of this cell cam but the one that was being photographed the most and you know throughout the property but uh actually jared drove down here on thursday uh wednesday night that deer if we got i got a trail cam picture of him off cell cam in a fence row and I text Jared a picture of that deer on Wednesday evening, knowing that he's coming down Thursday to, you know, this is the deer that, of the age group, this is the one I'd want him to get after. This can get a good chance of seeing this one, maybe, <laughs> you know. Wow. Yeah. But, uh, and that actually, was a mile last, away, right? That, that, that picture was away. a mile away from where we were hunting. But, uh, last year, I was bow hunting in that box one of the food plots, and he had come off of the hill under the cedar tree that Jared was sitting under chasing two does, and he went up the same path that Jared actually shot this deer on, 
And when he come back down by my blind, he was wide enough and tall enough and looked really good at 200 yards coming chasing does. When he got up there, he was thin. He had the frame, but he was thin. And I just I knew then that deer's no older than three years old. Great frame. Last year, he was a seven-point. And I ended up actually finding his shed about 400 yards south of where Jared harvested this deer on the neighbor's property. I got permission on a, an 80-acre south of me. A neighbor gives me, lets, me, lets me shed hunt on him, and I was able to go in there and find his shed. And I'm like, well, good, he made it because he, he had the frame. To me, he was just – he needed that he needed that one more year. And Velvet, he showed up, and he was kind of changed a little bit from last year in one of his antlers. I don't know what, what – he had some damage or – what had made him do what he'd done, but uh, just that frame, I knew it was the same deer. And then after we, you know, after Jared had him on the ground and was able to get him back to the shop so he could get him cleaned up, I was able to go out there and dig through the pile and find a shed and come back there and lay it right inside the antler. And, you know, even the bald spot on the base from up in the trees is even, he got the same white bald spots on the same brow tine. I mean, it's, there's no question, you know, but just, yeah, uh, previous year, I can't say I was on him knew what deer that was but uh last year he had a few, a few pictures and then when he come off that hill at night but he come right underneath the cedar tree jared was sitting under i watched him go right up the same hill that jared harvested him on i mean it was just it he was that was his route and he was the most consistent of that age group doing it so my guess is he was the one running the show which he had a few chips and brow tine broke and and uh, he had holes all over the side of his face and in his neck and in his ears. I mean, he was that was that was his place, and he wasn't he wasn't let none of them tangle with him. Looked like. Wow, well, that's a great pass. And uh, Jared, congrats on hanging in there, man. And what a beautiful buck! I'm sure everybody that listens has probably already seen the picture of it. If you haven't, go on our Facebook or Instagram and get a look at this buck, and it's just. Beautiful Illinois buck, and congratulations again, brother. Oh, thank you so much, man. That, that I truly appreciate it, and obviously very much appreciate Jordan and Jordan's hospitality and just being a great friend over the last couple of years. And, you know, you never had to invite me down there. I still could be your buddy forever, but now it's locked in. Well, in hindsight. <laughs> yeah, now, yeah, yeah, right. Now it's, now it's your problem. Now, now it's um, – it's pretty amazing. This deer, I'm sitting right next to him right now. I got the rack still. I haven't been up to see my uh, taxidermy star yet. I mean, he's he's really big, and he's got mass on every time. Um, the pictures, I don't even think do him justice. Like, every time I walk into my basement office and look at him, he has not gotten smaller. It's been three yeah. weeks. That's all. Awesome. two and a half weeks. He's not gotten smaller, and I just, I'm so blessed and just lucky and and you know, that big. deer was a very framey deer. He honestly yeah. was. He was high. He was wide. He, he he had it all. He had a little trash to him, and he was of the age structure that that you want. I mean, that was that was the one. You know, back in my mind, I'm hoping you shoot, hoping this one is the one you get a chance at because, like you said, the one you you may have missed might have been bigger, might not have been. But you know, it took you three days to see that one, and I was right. just thanking your words. You know, he was on camera right here. I know that deer. I got cell cameras, and and uh, I'm not going to throw any name drops out there. <coughs> Spy point, but they've been great. And I've, I've got them on the property, and it's my first year running cell cameras, and it's honestly been a game changer. Really not having is. to 
No, I yeah, for sure. Or go change cards, but to be able to just sit back and watch everything going on, you know, without being in there. But that deer, like I said, that that he'd been kind of shy. I think he had been by about a week and a half before Jared come down. I had one picture of him on South Fence Line, and then, like I said, the day before Jared's leaving, he's over there in the fence row of, of a night on camera. But he was uh he looked real good in that picture. <laughs> Uh, he, he's a giant. He's, uh, I mean, his his right G2, just to give you guys some um, context here, is 12 and a half inches long. Wow. Like 12. I, yeah. He's. I mean, I got my grandpa's mule deer in my basement here, and this rack barely fits inside the mule deer. So he's just, <laughs> he's big, Brian. I wish you lived closer. I'd drive him down there and show you. I mean. Oh, I'll see him one of these days for sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's, um, he's awesome. And. And for Jordan to have the shed is just even cooler. Oh, yeah. And then all the history, you know, he sent me 15, 20 trail camera pictures of him. I just, I'm just blessed, guys. And, um, and but at the same time, a couple things you could probably learn from that, that I'm looking back, hindsight being 2020 here, shoot your gun a lot. Um, if you see where the deer are, are moving, you know, if I would have made that move, I would have been slinging lead again at what, 200 and 15 yards, Jordan, whatever that yeah. was, and it would have been the same damn story. Hmm. Um, and maybe I would have hit him, but I was just, I'm, I got aggressive, moved in, and I was I was too close, uh, but it was close enough. And, no. and, not, and secondly, um, you know, as cliche as it is, don't give up. I mean, I could easily thrown that muzzle loader in the creek there and just been done and walked home, got your twelve gauge and sat the afternoon or whatever and and but you just kept reloading <laughs> just keep reloading I guess, right? And um and that was pretty awesome doing doing that. So And I really feel like Jared got a good a good set of of, of Illinois rut. You know, not saying a guy hunting gets to see that every year because there's been years I've had in the past where I'm like, yeah, I kind of see some rut activity. And there's been years where I've had that, you know, 18 hours, two hunts where it was just on fire. But for being, okay, it's November 22nd, you know, the weather's not great, kind of after the fact, pressure gun season, and he's still able to make the move and get on and see, and see the rut activity, which, you know, you didn't, you didn't really touch on quite, but after you shot your buck and he ran off, you know, what happened after that as far as what you've seen after that, literally within moments? Yeah, I I pulled out my phone. I had a cup of coffee and hung up with Jordan. No, I, I was on the phone with you still. Yeah. <laughs> and this decent eight point that um that I I may have shot came over the hill and comes right down that trail where I shot that buck, sniffed around where that buck was standing, and continues down the hill to where one of those four does ran up that hill. And I'm filming him. He comes all the way down the hill. He's in the bottom next to me, 25 yards away. I'm wow. like, this is, this is amazing. As I'm filming him walk left to right with my phone, like a freaking movie scene, a bigger one pops out of the woods straight behind him in the same video frame. So I, like, turn the phone towards him, and it's a big chocolate-racked eight-point that I would have shot, no question. And he's looking around, looks at me. They just didn't care. They were sniffing the dough. They were, the dough was hot. The dough brought 
all three, all four of these bucks, and if you count that button buck, right? Uh, all four of these bucks in, um, and they literally walked the same trails. They walked down into the bottom where I was, and they walked back up the hill to where I shot the buck, and they moved on. I mean, they were on those does. And then Jabral within 45 minutes of, of two muzzleloader shots, you know. Yeah, yeah. When they're when they're running like that, I mean, I was on the phone and sitting there videotaping, and they didn't even didn't even really care. They were just, you know, all run it up. But um, if you ever get on a hot doe and you, you miss one or something don't go your way, it just yep. I can't stress it enough to guys. Just don't di- get discouraged because you don't know what's going to happen in the next few moments, the next hour, the next two hours. You know, whether she's there and now gone, that scent trail is still there. Yep, and you can just sit there and just watch parade by. It may be button buck spikes, and maybe maybe bucks that you are lesser than what you want to harvest. But then again, it may not be. You know, and you've you boys have done it and watched them deer run. You get a good hot doe. That's that's probably you know she's getting close to ready to stand to lock up. She don't go very far. She's bouncing around in this hundred hundred and fifty yard piece of timber and kind of just you know she's she's right there. Not necessarily saying that you're going to run two miles away and keep chasing. I've seen that too. But I have noticed if you get on a hot one that, that you know, she's she's close by the way she's acting. She's prancing. She's throwing her tail. She's stopping enough to let that buck get right to her rather than staying 30 yards ahead of him. You know, you can't, really can't get discouraged if it comes by and you, you, you can't get a shot because within moments you, you don't know what's going to happen for the next time frame, you know. And you, you, I feel Jared really got experience a good – a good Illinois rut for the three days he got to be here with the hand he was dealt with the weather and the rain and you just you got to make them moves and, you know he asked me about it make sure it's okay with me hell yeah it's okay with me that's the exact same thing I do you know if they're not going to you get to them you, you've got a muzzleloader you know and I've done that with a bow and went over and sat on the ground and, and got right. on top of them before in years past I mean which you know we've talked before in some other, some of the past podcasts we talked about I, I I'm a pretty aggressive during the rut, you know, I'm aggressive with rattling, calling. I'm aggressive with – if I need to get down and move, I'm going to get down and move. It's just you got a certain amount of time when that window hits, and sometimes it seems like hours. And uh, I feel like he did everything that I would have done and, of course, capitalized when it needed to happen, make it count. It sure as heck worked out the way I wanted it to. That's for sure. I mean, making that move is the best thing I did. And missing that dough, best thing I did. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. is we'll unbe- unbelievable. We'll tell you one thing, Brian. It was something different for me. Which my brother and my dad, you know, I've been with them. They've harvested deer. I've been with my dad when he's harvested a good buck. But but being a deer with history and having you know my little brother put in the work on the farm and be able to have Jared come down and still be able to slide in there, you know, like he done and be able to get in there and, and kill the deer. That in the back of my mind, I, I wanted him to to pursue. And be able to see him just, you know, excited. And, you know, first he wasn't too excited. He was more nervous, and he got excited. But one of my, my favorite things was he got down, and the, the first thing he'd done was call his dad and get on FaceTime with his dad. And I, I stood yeah. behind him, and I just kind of filmed some of that, and I took, I took some pictures of him not even knowing I was doing it. Just because it, it's those moments right there. It's kind of, you know, that's why, that's why I do it anymore. I mean, I've, I've been lucky. I've harvested some nice deer, and I've harvested, you know, quite a few of them and, and, and had a pretty good – not really career, but pretty good time doing it the last 20 years. But be able to be right there with him and his, his moment, one of his best deer, you know, and, and first thing, you know, called his dad. It's the same thing I always done and everything I ever harvested. The first person was I called dad, you know, and it was just, it was, it was really awesome being able to see that 
from a different point of view. Instead of me always being me calling my dad, I got to see somebody else do that, you know, on my farm. So that, yeah, that's that was, special. That that kind of made it for me, for sure. That that's awesome. I'm looking forward to checking out the footage and and getting the rest of the story from the actually watching it. Now, Jared, you had some challenges once the deer was on the ground and and having to get it back to Michigan. You want to walk us through that real quick? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you got a couple of choices. You can just throw the deer in the truck and hope nobody stops you and 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 get it home. Um, but the right thing to do is to follow the, the CWD laws. And I don't think you can even leave Illinois with the deer, let alone bring it into Michigan. I know you cannot bring it into Michigan um, with any brain matter or bone matter left on that deer. Um, so what we had to do is we had to debone that entire buck that day. Um, we had to um, obviously skin it first and then get it down to the neck or the, or the head. And then we brought it to a taxidermist down the road there, Nathan down there. And he caped it off the face for me um, in about, you know, 20 minutes like a professional. And uh, so then you have the rack, which is kind of unique. I have the rack on my desk right here with just a skull cap. It's been borax cleaned and, and all that good stuff. Um, you know, normally in Michigan, you kill a deer, you skin it, you cut the head off, and you freeze the whole thing and bring it to the taxidermist to fill it in your freezer. Um, right. So now I got the I got the cape all caped out, ready to go, and and uh, all the meat was deboned, and I probably screwed that up a little bit uh, due to some of the lattes we were celebrating with that day. Um, <laughs> that's all going to probably go into some good burger and some back straps, and then. Uh, and then you know, obviously get this get this guy to the taxidermist and and go from there. But um, if any of you guys found out west or anything, um, you know, this has been a requirement for a couple of years now, and even longer if you're going to like Wyoming or, or Wisconsin or Illinois. So it wasn't very simple. It took a lot of time and a lot of extra work, uh, but it's important to be legal. And yeah, it's um, the right thing to do. It's just the right thing to do. You don't want to be spreading disease anywhere, anyways. So, yeah, even um, even if you're on the fence about it and you sort of don't have the information and you might think that it's not real and maybe you just don't have the information on it, but just do what the experts are telling you. Follow the law, keep yourself legal, and uh, it's just the right thing to do and try to follow that the best you can. Yep, yep, great advice, great advice. I know uh cannot wait to, to see what kind of mount this, this turns into. I don't know what kind of uh, form or anything yet. I'm just still in, on cloud nine down here in my freezing cold basement <laughs> looking at this rack. I mean, my, my wife's getting kind of annoyed because every time she rolls over, it just jabs her, you know. She gets <laughs> getting pretty sad after I keep sleeping with it, you know. Well, is there anything else you wanted to cover that we might have missed before we wrap it up here? No, I don't think so. I just want to thank you, Brian, for uh, switching roles tonight and, and taking over and, uh, you know, just hang in there the rest of the year. It ain't over till it's over, buddy. And no, I'm, we're going to keep that after. from experience. And uh, Jordan, thank you, brother. I love you. I appreciate it. And um, you know, hope to hope to come down there again. If you ever want to come to Michigan, you feel free, buddy. I got a spot for you. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> You're coming back. You should decide if you want to try it with a bow or a gun. Yeah, well, I, I hear you. I'm I'm jacked. It was it was awesome. Um, 
And yeah, it, it really turned out better than what I ever could have hoped for you with the amount of deer you was able to see, the opportunities you had. I mean, in hindsight, it's a lot better than I ever could have hoped for you because it wasn't oh, stacking man. up good. It really wasn't. No, but, it, it, it turned know, out great. Spent and you were, your money was spent and you were coming, you know. Yep. Yep. And, and to all the listeners, it's not over till it's over. Don't give up to the bitter end, guys and gals. Don't give up. So. Amen. That's all I got, boys. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for coming on, Jordan. We appreciate your time. Thanks for having this knucklehead down there and getting them <laughs> on a huge buck. I'm I'm just so happy for both of you. I wish I could have been there to see it, and I'm looking forward to catching up on the video and catching up with you guys in person someday if we can ever get back to normal here. So Yeah, I'll tell you what, it's been great meeting you guys and the things we've been able to meet up in years you know, and still meet at the shows and do things, keep in touch. And, and with, with the thing you guys do with this, this podcast and just showing, taking the everyday guy like me and some of your other guests and just kind of seeing what, what everybody else is doing and things we're learning. And, you know, these, these are not necessarily the guys that are just getting into your weekend warriors. These guys are passionate about it and not just the harvesting part. You know, I just, I like, I like the things you guys cover and I like how you guys approach, approach everything. So it's just, it's been fun for me just, being on the backside, kind of listening and, and being a part of it. And I appreciate it too, guys. Thank you, Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP Land Plans there. We also have hats, T-shirts, and decals up at HabitatPodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. We have Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plots, The Habitat Hook, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction. Sound Barrier Hunting, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp. 
alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.